Have you ever heard the statement, you can prove anything by the Bible? Usually what they mean by that is you can prove anything by a few words in the Bible if you don't read the rest of it. For example, Proverbs 12 and verse 15 says, The fool is right. It does. That goes on to say, in his own eyes. But I would assert that those who say you can prove anything in the Bible would use such a verse to prove that they're right. You'll get that in a minute. Think, think. Who am I talking? Okay, here we go. People are strange in their beliefs. They see themselves as wise oftentimes when they're really nothing more than biblical fools. Ben Franklin stated, The learned fool writes his nonsense in better language than the, than the unlearned, but it's still nonsense. Sometimes when you read some of these fools, that biblical fools, uh, you see that in their writing. It's still nonsense. Uh, Paul dealt with those in Corinth who thought they were wise. What we want to talk about tonight is the fool is always right in his own eyes. Let's start with the most famous fool, the fool of Psalm 14 and verse 1. Everybody's favorite fool. He even had his own day in April on the 1st. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now you'll note that the text goes on to explain who this fool is. But we're inundated by people today who are what they call atheists. They teach in college campuses all over these United States. They think it's their life mission to be missionaries for their atheism because they're greatly concerned that in a world where they purport to believe everybody has any right to believe whatever they want to believe, that everybody believed like them when it comes to the existence of God. In fact, from time to time, some believers start out a class by saying, how many Christians in the room? And whoever raises their hand, he'll say something like, well, by the end of this class, you won't be. Because that's what they intend to do. In fact, I was, there were uh, a couple of Jewish people who took a survey. Their, their, what they wanted to Proven their survey was all the anti-Semitism on college campuses today among the professorships. So they asked the question, how many of you feel hostile toward Jewish people? 3% admitted yes. Then they said, how many of you feel hostile toward Muslims? 22% admitted yes. Then they said, how many of you feel hostile toward Christians? Fifty-five percent admitted yes. I guess it's okay to have bias if you're biased against the right people. Uh, in fact, they went on and asked some follow-up questions. How many of you would be upset if Jew Jews had a greater role in politics? I don't remember the answer on that one off the top of my head. They went on then to say, how many of you would be happy if Christians had a role that was greater in politics? Zero percent answered yes. 
How many of you would be would feel better if Muslims had a greater role in politics? It was over 50%. I don't remember the exact number, but in the 50s said that they felt like Muslims should have a greater role in American politics. I find that strange. I find that strange for some reason. I don't know why I find it strange, but I just do, I guess. It seems as if there is at least one group it's okay to be prejudiced and hateful toward in America. Unfortunately, those who profess to be New Testament Christians find themselves in that small group. But the fool has said his heart, there is no God here in Psalm 14. He goes on to describe in verse 2, or in the rest of verse 1, and on down through verse 2 and 3. He says, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. What what the uh, psalmist is getting across to us is the fact that many of these people who say in their heart there is no God and thereby show themselves to be foolish, what they really have is a moral objection to God. They don't want God to tell them what they can do, so they're going to do it the way that they want to. Basically, there's two kinds of people in America that are atheists. Those that have some kind of objection to God telling them what they're going to do morally. And those that something happened to them between the age of about 8 to 14 that have become atheists because of that. And uh, it's interesting to run across one of these people that uh, are in a college campus teaching and it's something between 8 and 14 and you start interviewing them, you talk to them, you have a conversation and you find out, well, it's all because my daddy was drunk when I was 12 and he professed to be a Christian. And as you think about this, you think, well, here's a guy that thinks he holds this, re- this atheism because he is so intellectually pure. He has studied to the Ph.D. level and come to this conclusion, and yet it's not a 35-year-old Ph.D. in physics that's an atheist standing in front of me. It's a 12-year-old boy who don't like his daddy screaming at his mother. That was when he reached conclusion. That's the intellectual honesty that's standing before us at this time. Uh, obviously, there is a God. There are many arguments for the existence of God himself. One, just simply, uh, if you look at the fact there is the universe exhibiting design, there has to be a designer who designed it. It's that simple. Uh, two, if there is a moral law, there is a moral law giver. God is the moral law giver. Three, if Jesus rose from the dead, he claimed to be the Son of God, he has to have a father, and that father is God. And I don't know where we could go with just simple arguments proving uh, that there is a God. However, they still make that claim, don't they? There is no God. Why? Because they've dealt with the arguments intellectually and honestly? No. There's a guy, for example, have you ever heard of Bart Ehrman? Oh, good. Bart Ehrman is uh, a guy that teaches at the University of North Carolina. He writes a lot of popular-level atheist books today. Uh, I'll just throw out one thing. Bart Ehrman attacks the Gospels. One of the reasons he attacks the Gospels, he says that uh, their authorship is to be doubted. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know how you know that? Because the originals don't have the name Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John attached to them. As if, in first century writing, Things had to be filed through the patent office and the copyright office before they were accepted. 
Now, if you really want to see something funny, Google sometime on the YouTube when they asked Bart Ehrman how many copies, if he believed that, that Plutarch wrote the lives of the Caesars, and how many of those copies have the name Plutarch attached to them, and watch his face. It's, it's funny. make you laugh anyway, if nothing else. Because he does believe Plutarch wrote the lives of the Caesars, and he also knows not a single copy, not even a copy, not even a copy, forget original, has Plutarch's name attached to it on the lives of the Caesars. Just interesting things to know about these atheists. Anyway, they trust in their heart that has been darkened, don't they? Secondly, in fact, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 12:15, which we've already alluded to, here is a person in Proverbs 12:15 that trusts in his own heart. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, not realizing that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Not realizing that some people in Romans 1.22 have their foolish heart darkened and thereby refuse to give God the glory of Romans 1.21. It's folly to trust in yourself. In fact, any person who has ever been wrong about anything knows they are subject to being wrong and therefore... If there's somebody more trustworthy when it comes to certain things than them, they should trust that person. And, of course, God is more trustworthy than any man, so we should trust God. Thirdly, the man who is covetous is a fool. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a, ter a story. You remember in Luke 12, uh, a couple of fellows come to him. Actually, one fellow comes to him about a couple of fellows and their problem. He says, uh, listen, I've got a brother He's not dividing the inheritance with me properly. I need what I need. So Jesus, instead of explaining how the inheritance should be divided 50-50, 75-25, 66-33, or any other way, instead takes that occasion to tell a parable. After telling him it's not his business, in verse 14, uh, to divide his living. So he then says, take heed, verse 15 of Luke 12, and beware covetous, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Then he told a parable. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns. Build greater barns, there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now you would think that a man who had such a great plan would be commended by God. He's facing a problem. His problem is what? Too much stuff. He can't keep it all, so what's his solution? Tear down what he's got, build something bigger so he can keep it all, right? That sounds like a good engineer, doesn't it? That sounds like somebody who knows how to build. That sounds like somebody who has high skills. However, look what God says. Verse 20. But God said to him, first words, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God.
the man in that parable was a fool. For what reason? Because he was selfish, greedy, and covetous. He thinks he's right because he thinks, well, here I, I have gotten wealth. I've gotten great wealth. I'm a man of riches. But yet, he's wrong. Why? Because he didn't include one thing in his plans. You know, sometimes when you, when you make plans, you have to have contingent plans. They say about a military plan, it looks beautiful on paper until the first shot's fired. Then everything changes immediately. Well, life is that way, isn't it? We have beautiful plans until the first shot is fired. Well, here's this man that thought he had a beautiful plan. He did not take into account one thing. That is that God was going to require his soul that night. And what was it going to be and who would his stuff go to? Fourthly, the one who hears but doesn't do, according to Jesus himself, is a fool. Turn with me to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The last story that Jesus tells in that sermon is about such a kind of man. Verse 24, beginning. Wherefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will like the wise man that built a house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house. It fell out, for it was founded upon a rock. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which has built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Uh, I've always found it amazing that Jesus here talks about the wise person and the foolish person, and the foolish person builds his house on what? saying that ever so often there's a season y'all know about baseball season football season basketball season well here in florida we have hurricane season and amazingly when hurricane season comes oftentimes these hurricanes blow through and they blow down what kind of houses houses that are built right out there on the sand and Jesus told them long ago, and then the same ones who lose money, animals, and life say what? How can there be a God, all this evil's out here in the world? When God told them, don't build your house there. He didn't just tell them don't build your house there. He said, let me illustrate what a fool is to you. He's really teaching about something else. But it was so foolish to do such a thing that he used them as an illustration. You know, it's like if you talk about uh, years ago there was that thing in the back of the cartoon books. Remember the comic books? Charles Atlas had the guy kick sand in the face. It's like Barney Fife is standing there and he's the illustration. That's what these people are. And then they turn around and say, well, there can't be a God because all this evil. You won't believe the evil that God has allowed to be unleashed upon me. Well, you built your house on the sand. What did you expect? But while we can see that, can we see that those who, as Jesus was talking about, hear the word of God and do it not, 
they also were foolish. In fact, James talks about them in James 1, 22-25. He talks about a man that looks into a mirror and sees something wrong and he didn't fix it. That's what the man is that hears the Word and does not obey. Fifthly, he who doesn't prepare himself for for judgment is a fool. Go to the end of Matthew twenty five or Matthew to Matthew twenty five, and Jesus tells another parable. He says, "The kingdom of heaven be like ten virgins, which took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. What's the difference? Well, they that were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them." The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, we don't usually use uh, oil in lamps today, do we? We have other things we use to light stuff up. So let's illustrate it this way. Let's say that uh, you were going to get a phone call. And you were going to get a phone call that changed your life forever. Instead of making it a bridegroom situation, let's say Ed McMahon was going to call you. I don't know if he's still alive or not. Now, if you call Ed, you buy some of that stuff he sells on late night, late night TV. That will also change your life forever because you'll be mad the rest of your life. But if he calls you, that's good news, right? You won that publisher clearinghouse. Now, imagine that there were ten people, and ten people said five of you are going to hear from Ed McMahon today. And you were one of those five people. Now we got it narrowed down. And you're going to hear from him today. And let's say that cell phones have not advanced beyond what they are now. These cell phone batteries they got nowadays will last for 30 days. Wouldn't that be great? 30 days. But let's say instead of plugging your phone up at night to charge it, you have to take the battery out of your phone and plug it up. So you've got it plugged up into the wall the night before Ed McMahon's going to call. Then you go out the next day and you say, I could take that battery, but I don't need it. And you don't get a phone call. Now, if you found out later Ed McMahon tried to call you, what would you think you were? You'd know you was a fool. There's no thinking to it. Why didn't I just take my battery? Well, that's what these virgins were. There's no fuel to light their way. And someone's coming to get them. And they can't get there. So you remember how it, how it turned out. The five wise ones went on and got married. The five foolish ones who didn't have their cell phone batteries, they all... Stayed single the rest of their lives, and they all have 50 cats now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's in, the, that's in another version of the story. But the truth be told, the point is that he who does not prepare himself for judgment is what? A fool. A fool. And all these people we've just discussed are people who don't prepare themselves for judgment, aren't we? The one who says there is no God, he's not prepared for judgment. The one that trusts himself instead of God, he's not prepared for judgment. 
The one that, that thinks life is about getting as much as you can. As one fellow said one time, get all you can and can all you get. And the one who thinks he is, uh, that he is right when he just hears God's Word and doesn't do anything about it, also a fool. Why? None of them give any consideration for what's on the other side of eternity. See, most people live in this world as if this world is all there is. But the Christian knows better, don't we? We know that this world is not even a drop in the bucket compared to what will be. If you were to put on one side the oldest living man in the world, you can make him Methuselah, or you can make him some uh, short Japanese guy who ate fish every day. Doesn't matter. You make him 969 years old, or you make him 118 years old. In fact, you can combine their lives, whatever that comes to, which I'm not going to do the math on and embarrass myself. But over a thousand years, eternity compared to that is nothing. Yet, how many people basically are fools because all they focus on is this side of eternity? That's all they think about. That's all they care about. That's all they concentrate on. That's all they plan for. The man that built those barns, that was his problem. He left God out of his plans. Leaving God out of your plans is a whole lot worse than leaving the ant out of your picnic plans, isn't it? Thou fool. But what about us? Are we any better? Do we think about eternity? Do we only think about the here and now? What have we got scheduled for the future? Well, to have nothing scheduled for the future unless we add the caveat to it, what? If the Lord will. Because the truth of the matter is, it's all up to God. God can at any time send His Son back. And He doesn't even have to send His Son back for your plans to be changed. You could die tonight. You could die this evening. You don't have to wait till tonight. The Lord knows those that are His. And you know, many people die every day that think to themselves that they've got tomorrow. If you're subject to invitation... And you need to obey the gospel. You do so by hearing God's word, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe in the past you've done that and gone back to the world. If so, we call you the Lord today. Come as we stand as we sing.